Hello, MRCC. Thank you so much for joining us today for our online service. Hey, we want to wish you a happy Palm Sunday. You know, this day marks the day that Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem. In Matthew, it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, this word Hosanna that you hear a lot today, it simply means an expression of adoration, of praise, and joy. So church, could you stand where you are now and let us lift up Hosanna to our Lord. Let us pour out our adoration on him, give him praise, and shout for joy, because he is worthy. Amen. Let us worship together, church. We sing Hosanna, Lord. Sing praise. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you, yes, we turn to you, that's right, Lord, hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you, yes, we long for you, so when we see you, when we see you, find strength to face the day. That's right, Lord. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. Jose. All our fears are washed away, they're washed away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, sing Hosanna, you give us strength in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away Hosanna would you 
sing, church. Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, yeah. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us, we welcome you. Father, we praise your name. You are so worthy of our praise, Lord. Church, let us remember that he is our strong refuge. This Savior Jesus that we sing of, he says, Come all ye who are heavy burdened. Let me teach you, and you will have rest for your souls. Church, we are not alone in this critical time. Let us remember that God is with us, and his faithfulness and his goodness can still be found even now. In Psalms it says this, I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Yes, Lord, you are so faithful. Church, let us remember his faithfulness and sing of his goodness today. Yes, Lord, you're so good. Yes, we sing of your goodness always. Would you sing with me, church? I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay in my head, I will sing of the goodness. God, that's right. That's our declaration, Lord. We remember that all my life you have been faithful. Yes, you have. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness. Amen. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. Yes, God. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. Oh, I have lived goodness of God. You see, he's always faithful. Yes. All my life you have been faithful. Oh, yeah. All my life you have been so, so His love is pursuing us, church, yes. Your goodness is running after, it's running after. 
running after me With my life laid down and surrendered now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me We sing of your goodness Your goodness is running after It's running after me your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down and surrendered now, I give you everything. Yes. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Oh, you're so good, God. And all my life, all my life. Been faithful. Yes, you're so good, Lord. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God. Yes, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna sing of your goodness always. All my life you have been faithful, yes, all my life you have been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, oh, I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God, I'm gonna sing. church he is faithful always through every situation through every crisis he is still in control he is still faithful he is still good God we thank you for your goodness Lord this is the beginning of Easter week where we get to celebrate your power and your goodness on display in Jesus so father we worship you we give you glory together as your church in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So good to worship with you. Here is Pastor Greg with today's message. Hey, good morning, everyone, or uh, good afternoon, good evening, whatever's appropriate. Uh, this new way of getting together feels weird, but uh, God is still in it the same way he promises always to be. So welcome. It's good to be with you. Hey, uh, I want to pray together before we open God's word. And, and then before I do that, I just want to thank so many folks who have been so faithful during this time in so many ways. Uh, MRCC is continuing to serve our community. We're continuing to take care of each other. People are being faithful and giving. It's really amazing. So thank you for, uh, for being the people of God in, in this time. Um, and as the people of God, it's really important that we pray. Uh, that we pray during this time for the land God's placed us in. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we, 
We give thanks, first of all, for your grace and your love. Your word tells us nothing can ever separate us from that. No hard times, no difficulties, no struggles. We thank you for that. And we rest in it. And we remember, too, Lord, that you said in your word, if my people who are called by my name will pray, I will heal their land. And so we come to you today, Lord, praying that you would wash this virus away from our land, that you would wash away sickness, God, that you would bring healing. We lift up especially those uh, folks that are serving in health care, nurses, doctors, uh, administrators, care workers, first responders. God, we pray for them. We lift them up to you and pray your protection, your grace, and your healing over them. And, and God, we come asking for this healing with, with repentant hearts, Lord, confessing that our land is a sinful land and asking you to bring healing of the spirit as well as the body. We pray for that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, uh, let's open God's word together for a little bit. Grab your Bible and turn it to Exodus uh, chapter 19 and 20. We're in a series called In the Wilderness. And we've been learning why God calls his people when he calls them to the promised land to go through the wilderness on the way. And we've been exploring that the past few weeks. We're going to continue to do that this morning. Next week, of course, is Easter, uh, at least a virtual Easter. We are planning a reunion Easter when we're able to get back together again, and that'll be pretty neat. But Exodus uh, chapter 19 and 20. And as you turn there, let me ask you this. How did you get your name? I mean, I know your parents gave it to you, but were you named after somebody or because of something? You know, uh, when my mom was pregnant with me, her best friend was also pregnant. They kind of got together and decided they were going to name their, their sons the same. And so that's where my name came from. It's where Greg came from. Rhonda is named after her dad. His name's Ron. So she was a firstborn daughter. She was named Rhonda. Uh, many people assume that our son, Isaiah, was named after the prophet. I wish I could tell you I'm that spiritual. But actually, he was named after a basketball player. Where did you get your name? How how did you get your name? Names are interesting. Uh, New York University professor Adam Alter writes about how names affect us as we grow up and develop. He calls it nominative determinism. And it's, a, it's an interesting theory to think about. Um, one of the, uh, you know, arguments for the reality of this that he makes is he, he notices how many people's names uh, match up with their, their careers or their situations. For example, I came across a list of some of them. Igor Judge, a little boy in the UK, grew up to become the Chief Justice of the UK. Coincidence? Maybe. You decide. One of his colleagues, a senior court of appeals judge, is named John Laws. Uh, and he ends up being a senior court of appeals. There's lots of examples of this. There's a star tennis player in Israel. Her name is Anna Smashnova. Smashnova. Um, coincidence, maybe. Uh, Seven-time world champion surfer Lane Beachley. <laughs> you have to wonder. Derek Kickett is a star Australian rules football player. How about this one? The director of water research in Manchester in the United Kingdom is Andrew Drinkwater. Uh, or there's Daniel Snowman, who grew up to become a renowned Arctic explorer and author. And there's a whole list of them on your screen there. A.J. Splatt grew up to become a doctor of urology. Joshua Butts grew up to become a doctor of gastroenterology. I think about the world champion splinter Usain Bolt. 
What if he had been named Usain Plod or Usain Slog? Would the same thing still have happened? Ashley Seawright is an eye doctor in Australia. Brad Slaughter became the director of the meat department at a supermarket in Cleveland. We can go on and on. You get the idea. How did your name influence you growing up? Uh, my name was very common. It seemed like there were always three, four, five Gregs in every classroom that I ever went into as a boy. And so I grew up with this desire to, to be different. And I worked really hard at it. And uh, my wife says maybe I worked a little too hard at it. But it affected me in that way. Um, did your name affect you growing up? It's interesting because the Bible tells us that God often changes people's names. Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. Of course, Simon became Peter. Sarai became Sarah. There's many examples of God changing people's names. In fact, uh, Revelation chapter 2 tells us as believers that in the end, he will give all of us a new name, a unique and individual name known only to each of us. A mystery we don't have time to get into this morning, but um, God changes names. And here's why that's significant. In the wilderness, God gave Israel a new identity. We might call it a new name. Back in chapter 6, verse 7, when he first called Israel out of Egypt, we heard him say, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. He changed their identity, kind of like an adoption. And today we're going to see how in the journey in the wilderness, he got very specific about that new identity, about that name change. And we're going to explore that this morning. The Bible says that everyone who receives Jesus as their Savior gains a new identity. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to own, to embrace a new identity, to take upon us a new name. And this morning God wants to talk to us about that. In the first week of our series, In the Wilderness, we heard God call Israel not to the wilderness, but through it. And we remembered that God hasn't called us to this wilderness we're going through now. He's called us through it. There's a plan beyond it. But that he uses the wilderness to prepare us for that plan. And in the second week, we learned how God wants us to, to discover how to live with him one day at a time. And that's what the manna was about. It was provided one day at a time so that we would learn to walk with God as our provider one day at a time. He really wants that for you and me in this time. I don't know about you, but that last week felt like the longest week in recorded history. But in it, God has challenged me to walk with him in a new and patient way. He's challenging you as well. This morning, he wants to talk to us about embracing and owning that new identity. I invited you to turn to Exodus chapter 19, and that's what we're going to begin exploring this morning. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, God brings Israel, after about three months in the wilderness, to a very specific place for a very specific purpose. He brings them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. We're going to walk through that in just a moment. But as we do, uh, one of the first things we want to understand about this giving of the Ten Commandments is that they aren't how we become God's people. They are given because we have become God's people. 
Israel is invited into the covenant at Sinai, not in order to become God's people, but because they had been made God's people. In other words, they're given in the context of grace. The Ten Commandments are, uh, weren't given before deliverance from Egypt. They were given afterwards. They aren't rules about how to get into God's house. They are rules about how things are done in his house. And in that sense, they are his very practical fathering in our lives, in your life and in my life. And they have, they have two contexts. The Ten Commandments are given in two contexts. Let's discover those. Exodus 19, verses 1 and following, the Bible says, In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they entered the desert of Sinai, part of the wilderness, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up that mountain to God, and the Lord called to him and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now there's a, a wonderful uh, metaphor in that passage that we want to understand because it highlights the fact that God's commandments are given in the context of grace. And the metaphor is found in verse 4. God says, I carried you on eagle's wings. It would be easy to hear that and think it's just poetic language, and it is, but it's more than that. Every Israelite would have been familiar, living in the part of the world that they did, with how a, a mother eagle trains her chicks to fly. And what a mother eagle will do is, is carry that baby up into the sky, then drop her, and then catch her, and then take her up and drop her again, and then catch her again. And over and over and over again, the mother eagle will do this with the baby eagle until the baby eagle learns to fly. God says, Israel, I brought you out of Egypt like that. I brought you out of Egypt in a covenant of grace. Now I want to teach you how to fly. I want to show you how to live as my people, how to become my people in, in the fullness of what that means. And, and then he gets very specific about what it means. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 19 of Exodus. This is the second context in which the Ten Commandments are given. God says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, hear this now, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will have a unique identity in the world. You will have a specific identity. What's God saying here? He says, Israel, I want you to understand that I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you an identity. And God gives them an invitation to this new identity. Not to think of themselves as slaves or refugees anymore, but as a kingdom of priests. The word priest is rooted in the idea of being a bridge builder. And the idea is being a bridge builder between God and other people. Let me challenge you this morning. Have you owned that identity? Is that how you think of yourself in relation to your neighbors? or your co-workers, or the people you go to school with? Do you think of yourself as a bridge builder to help those people build, discover bridges between them and God? Peter picks up on this in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says to us as Christ followers, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation. He's using this language from Exodus. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So the giving of these Ten Commandments are how we embrace the new identity we are called to in Christ. It's how we own our new name. We might say it this way, the Ten Commandments are his fathering of us, the rules for his household. They're not how we get in, they're how we live in his household. I think back to when I was adopted as a boy and, and the day I was adopted, uh, you know, I didn't have to pass a test in order to be adopted, my father chose me. But then after that, as I went home into his house, then I had to learn his rules. And then I was privileged to learn his rules. The same kind of thing is happening here. Now, here's why God does this. He wants to establish our identity in our own hearts and minds because there is great strength in owning it. Let me say that again. There is great strength in owning it. God knows that Israel still has a lot of, pro uh, of wilderness to cross. We found out this week we got another month of this isolation. And God knows they're going to need strength to get through that. So he gives them an identity designed to strengthen and build them up encouraging them to rise up to that identity. The giving of the Ten Commandments is in that context. Uh, let me help you understand if I can make a little bit of a word picture for you. You know, uh, when I became a hospital corpsman working in the hospital with nurses and doctors, you know, um, there's kind of an obstacle you have to overcome in that. Uh, the hospital, the ER in particular, you know, you're, you're constantly confronted with a lot of yuck, a lot of mess. There's, there's blood, there's, there's uh, all the mess that the human body produces when it's in distress. Uh, you're, you're constantly surrounded by pain and sickness. And, and there's a part of you that wants to run away from that. There's a part of you that wants to avoid that, to escape it. But then there's this identity you've been given. It was signified by a little symbol I wore on my collar, that caduceus, the, the healing staff of Moses. And we wore that caduceus because it's, we understood that that was who we were now. And, and from the strength of that identity, I overcame my squeamishness about all the mess, about all the pain, the sickness, the blood. And I found the ability to overcome and endure. God wants to do that in your life and mine. And the Ten Commandments uh, given at Mount Sinai in the wilderness are about strengthening the heart and mind in that way. You see, church, a strong sense of identity will pull you through hard times. And when we embrace this identity God's giving us here, it strengthens us to go through the wilderness. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you want to grasp. Your soul wants to be named. Your soul wants to be given this identity. It's, 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 it's inherent in who you are. You want to be pulled up to this high calling. You want to know that you are pleasing a Father God. I remember when our son Isaiah was a toddler, he was small, and he would play in those little weekend soccer games, you know, that Grandma and Grandpa go to. You see him all the time. And one of the things I noticed when Isaiah was playing soccer in those games is, first of all, he just wasn't very passionate about soccer. He wasn't the most competitive kid in the world, but he'd get out there with the other kids. They'd be chasing the ball and everybody trying to get it. They don't know which direction they're kicking it, but they're having fun. And, and what I noticed is when, when he would succeed in getting to the ball and giving it a good kick, he would immediately stop playing and turn and look to see if mom and dad had noticed. And if we were watching, 
and we saw what he had done and we cheered for him and said, yeah, you go, son. Then he was enthused and he tore off after the ball again. And if he managed to get to it and give it another kick again, he would stop and look. Did you see, mom, dad, did you see? Church, you and I are made the same way. We find motivation, strength, power to overcome in knowing that our Father God sees what is happening in our lives. And, and, and in this same way, nothing will satisfy you more than owning the identity of being God's priest in your workplace, in your work, in your neighborhood. Being a kingdom of priests, being his people, being God's bridge builders. There's enormous strength in knowing that you are called to that identity. Just, just ask the Blues Brothers. They said we're on a mission from God and they were able to do things. Well, well that's subject from another time. But seriously, how would you live differently at work, at school, in your neighborhood, if you thought of yourself as a priest for your coworkers? or your fellow students, or your neighbors. You and I will find strength and courage and faith from embracing that identity. But here's the thing, you don't embrace it by simply saying it, you embrace it by choosing the disciplines that go with it. Uh, you know, if I ask for a show of hands right now, how many of us listening would like to be able to play an instrument or play more instruments, all, all, almost every hand would go up. We all want that, but the question is, are we willing to accept the disciplines that create that? Anybody can learn if we're willing to accept the disciplines that go with it. In the same way, God offers the Ten Commandments that we might become a kingdom of priests. God reminds us of that and that he gives us these commandments in the context of his grace in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20. Look at what it says, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I've chosen you by grace. Now I'm gonna give you these commandments in the context of that grace. And he starts laying the disciplines on. Look at verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you will not believe in or trust something else more than me or, or the same as me. There's a, there's a nuance to the Hebrew word alpaniah, which is translated in your English version before. You shall have no other gods before me, which means, uh, the Hebrew word means before or beside, alongside. So the idea is that God will occupy the first place in your heart above friends, above family, above culture, society, above even your own opinions and will. To have no other gods before me means to put him in that first place. Let me ask you this morning, uh, or this evening, or this afternoon, does he have that first place? Does he decide what's right and wrong in your life? Or does your Twitter feed, does he define sin in your life? Or does popular opinion, does he define virtue and success? Does he define righteousness in your life? Or does someone or something else? The first of the Ten Commandments is to adopt the discipline of saying, God, you have the last word on these things in my life. I will have no other gods before or beside you. And then the second commandment, verses four and five, he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why does God prohibit images? Because church, uh, the people of God are meant to be the image. He wants Israel to become the image of him to the people that are uh, in the world around them. This is what John talks about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, when he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
Wow. Yeah, so, so don't make any images, Israel. The way you live together, the way you love one another, the way you serve one another, the way you seek to bless the world around you, that is the image of God. And I want that to be the only image of God. You are meant to become that. So there's the second commandment. The third commandment, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Why? Because what you do with your tongue governs and steers your life. James tells us about this in chapter 3 in the New Testament. Your tongue is the rudder, the, the, the reins, the steering wheel of your life. Govern your tongue and you gain control of your life. And so God says, do that by never misusing my name. Don't speak of me in a cavalier way. Don't speak of me in an irreverent or disrespectful way. Then he says, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because a regular habit of worship will bless your thinking and your perspective. Church, understand that these commandments are disciplines designed to cement and grow this new identity. As we own these things, we become, in fact, as well as in calling, the people of God. Verse 12, honor your father and mother because respect for them teaches you thanksgiving and grace. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Don't be controlled by your impulses, especially anger. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Don't be controlled by your lust. Don't be defined or dominated by your sexuality or your imagined sexuality. Don't commit adultery. You shall not steal. Verse 15, instead, learn to appreciate what you have. Contentment is not in having more, it's, it's in enjoying what you have. And God teaches us to live like that. Don't steal. You shall not give false testimony. Don't tell lies about people. Don't, uh, you know, uh, destroy reputations by your words. Don't give false testimony. And then he says, you shall not covet, verse 17. Don't spend your life comparing yourself to other people, but accept that you are unique and different. They are unique and different. These commandments are given to a people called to be a kingdom of priests. Why? Because in the disciplines, we find the strength to be that. Again, I, I think back to, to my time in the military, you know, when they, when they took me through boot camp and after school and called me a Marine, suddenly I had a different attitude. Yes, I am. I'm going to live up to that. Uh, former basketball coach at Temple University, John Chaney, has a quote that I absolutely love. He said, young men are like water. They will rise to the level expected of them. God knows that we will rise to the level expected of us becoming a kingdom of priests as we own these commandments. They enable us to see ourselves as his people, just like the disciplines that enabled me to be a corpsman or an infantryman. They make us strong on the inside. You know, there was a beautiful moment this week where Pastor Weston lived up to his calling. You know, he was feeling self-conscious about being a, the only instrumentalist leading us in worship, and so we had a conversation about it. He was going to invite some people in, but, but he was wrestling a little bit because he said, man, I don't want to set a bad example by showing a group of, of worshipers violating the social distancing that we've been asked to practice in this time. And so he was wrestling with that, going back and forth. And he called me late in the week and he said, you know what, Pastor Greg, I just can't do this. I'm only going to have Brent and I because we want to send the right message to the people. And when I heard that, I was deeply moved. And I thought to myself, Weston is owning his calling as a leader. And, and the discipline of that is, is elevating him up into his best self. And I said, man, right on, brother. Lead us. Be that example. These Ten Commandments will do that in you and me. 
They will do that in us. They make us different for the sake of other people. They make us different that we might be priests, a kingdom of priests, bridge builders between others and God. You know, a key part of this, and we're almost done, a key part of this is to understand that that this new name, this new identity God is, is giving Israel, it isn't a privilege so much as it is a mission. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission, writes about being trapped with a group of explorers spelunking a deep cave system in South America when a, when a rock slide closed off their way out. Only a small hole was left. And the group, as they deliberated about what to do, eventually chose one woman in their team, the smallest of them, to wriggle up through this hole to the outside world. She wasn't chosen to do that, though, out of some sense of privilege. She was chosen to do that so that she could get help and save all of them. She wasn't chosen for privilege. She was chosen for mission. This is what it means when God says to Israel, I will make you a kingdom of priests. This is what it means when the Holy Spirit says to you and I, as his church here and now, uh, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to me. The commandments enable us to own the identity. And here's the thing, an identity, hear this church, we're almost done. An identity that comes from mission is always stronger than an identity that comes from privilege. So God brings Israel into the desert and gives, this, gives them this identity so that they would find the strength to go through the wilderness and become his people. You know, another way to put this is that through the commandments, we discover our best selves, our true selves. They empower us to go through the wilderness. Somebody said a man could do anything if he knows why. God gives Israel these Ten Commandments, and the why is that they would become his people, a kingdom of priests. Ignore these commandments, and you can turn healers, priests, bridge builders, into killers. Uh, let me give you an example. In October of 1909, the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, bought its first motorized ambulance, 1909, so it's a while ago. The ambulance cost $4,000, which was a huge sum of money in that time. So people were excited. And when the ambulance arrived, the city took it on a tour of the town, racing it around and showing it off. And that's when a tragedy occurred. You see, the ambulance crew was unfamiliar with the vehicle and they ran over a tourist from Ohio. On its first day, the ambulance that they had bought to save lives took a life. A city councilman speaking afterwards explained how the collision killed him outright and our ambulance's first passenger didn't go to the hospital to be healed. He went to the morgue to be buried. How sad is that? And why did it happen? Because they didn't own the discipline that went with the calling. And so God says to us, as he said to Israel, hey, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. These commandments are how you own that. And finally, the commandments are there to remind us that precisely because we are his chosen people, we can expect to be disciplined by him. Disciplined as any good father does, as any good parent does. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses wraps up the moment by saying this, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you. 
Remember, a test is always to advance us, not to fail us. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So that the fear of God will be with you. Church, let me tell you, you know how you overcome fear in a time such as this? You overcome it by being more afraid of God than you are afraid of the virus. You overcome it by being more afraid of not being his people through this than of what might happen in the midst of it. Uh, combat soldiers tell us that courage uh, doesn't just come from nowhere. It comes from the fear of letting your fellow soldier down. And in the same way, the fear of God is with us, Moses says, in order to keep us from, and catch this, to keep us from sinning. Now remember, the word sin comes from archery. It means to miss the mark. So the idea here isn't the fear of God will be with you to keep you from breaking rules. But the fear of God will be with you to keep you from missing the mark of your calling. The thing that we should fear most of all during this crisis is that we would be less than a kingdom of priests doing it. So as we get ready to close, let me ask you again. How differently would your life in this time be if you thought of your neighbors as people for whom you were a priest? If you thought of the folks you're going to school with or working with as people to whom you are called as a royal priesthood, as a kingdom of priests. How different would this next month be if you embrace that identity? Here's the truth, if you do, if you do, you will find a strength in yourself that you didn't know was there. And it's the strength of God. It's the power of God in our lives. It can create incredible stories. It can turn people into heroes. Let me finish with a story. Tim Winton is Australia's most celebrated and best-selling novelist with more than a dozen bestsellers to his credit and many literary prizes as well. He's also a very well-known follower of Jesus. When he was asked by a reporter how he became a follower of Jesus, he shared an amazing story from his family's history. You see, when he was a boy, Tim's dad, who was a policeman, was involved in a terrible auto wreck uh, pursuing uh, a suspect. And he was injured so badly that from that moment forward, forward, he couldn't walk on his own. There were many things he couldn't do on his own. And when he came home, his wife and the small children, Tim and his siblings, were, were just overwhelmed by the degree of need they suddenly found in their dad. Well, a few weeks into this new normal, a neighbor came over. A neighbor, they knew his name, but didn't know him well. But he became aware of Tim's father's injury, and he realized how great the need was. And so he began to make it his regular habit to come over next door and give Tim's dad a bath and help him around the house, help him get dressed, help him get set up. And he would come over day after day after day. At the end of his workday, come over and take care of Tim's dad. Tim says our whole family wanted to know why he would do such a thing. And he explained to them that he did it because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, an ordinary guy in Nowheresville, Australia, became a hero, became one of a kingdom of priests building bridges between God and people. 
That's the identity, church, that will pull you and me through this wilderness. That's the identity that will enable us to overcome it and to bring glory to our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer through it. He hasn't called us to escape this time. He's called us to overcome it. He has called us to be His holy nation, His kingdom of priests. Can I invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the calling that you've given us. And we thank you for the disciplines that enable us to own that calling. We thank you for your commandments given to us as a gift. And God, we pray that you would cause us to own this identity, to look at the world around us and see ourselves as priests, bridge builders sent to that world. And God, we pray that in this wilderness, you would enable us to own that identity like never before. Let there be stories told someday of how we served in this time and how it helped and blessed and pointed someone else to you. We pray for that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Let me bless you as we go. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love him. We'll see you soon.